You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, we're back in the Keep the City podcast. Uh, a few days off here. It wasn't expected, but neither was the fact that the Yankees weren't going to play on Monday or Tuesday because of the situation with the Marlins and then the possible situation with the Phillies, which then affected how the Yankees were able to play and going to Philadelphia and not being able to play two games that were supposed to happen there and not being able to play the Phillies two games at home at Yankee Stadium either. So the Yankees end up playing the Orioles uh, in a two-game series, winning the first game on Wednesday night. 9-3, to but the reason there wasn't a podcast the last few days was because of the unknown situation with the league and if the season would continue, if the Yankees were going to play again, if the Yankee season was going to end after three games, um, I was just waiting around, sort of like we've been waiting around the last four plus months to find out what was going to happen, but it seems like the season will carry on and it seems like this situation, at least for now, is isolated to the Marlins, and while the rest of the league has zero positive tests, the Marlins just keep getting new positive tests every day, so something is, is certainly going on there that's not going on with the other 29 teams in the league but I guess we'll just have to wait and see which is sort of how the season's gonna go wait and see is today the last day of the season is this going to be the last Yankees game of the season I guess we're just gonna have to treat it like that and if the and if Wednesday night were the last game of the Yankees season they picked up another win their third of their first four games the the nine to three win over the Orioles Garrett Cole's second win in as many starts as a Yankee and uh, I guess I'll start with Garrett Cole who was not great once again. I mean, not great once again. Now he's 2-0 with a 3.09 ERA, but he walked the leadoff hitter. He gave up a run in the first inning. Uh, he just didn't look sharp, and he didn't really look sharp in his first start either, and I'm sure it's weird for him to be getting his first and second starts of the season in, in late July when he's used to doing that uh, in late March or early April, but it was just not a great start for him, and once again, not a great start translates into a win for him, a win for the Yankees. Uh, so as long as he can grind it out and figure it out on the mound. We just wait around for those dominant starts where no one can even seemingly put a ball and play against him. The one issue I have isn't even with him. It was the way he was handled. And when he came back out for the seventh inning, the Yankees leading seven to one with nine outs to get and a more than rested bullpen Cole's at 90 pitches. Why is he out there for the seventh inning? I get that he's a workhorse and he can go out there and throw 100 plus pitches, but it's just unnecessary. This isn't a game. It wasn't a tie game. The Yankees weren't clinging on to a one run lead. They were winning by six runs with nine outs left. The guys had 90 pitches. It's fucking hot outside. And I'm under the belief that every human arm, or at least every human pitching arm, only has so many pitches in it. Why would you send him back out there and waste pitches that you're going to need either five days from now or later in the season or in this weird best of three first round series that they're going to have to play this season so he's going to have to get another start in? He's going to need those pitches. And if you have a guy for nearly the next decade, you want to conserve as many pitches as you can. And I get that they saved about four months worth of pitches from him because of the shutdown, but... It just wasn't necessary. And he goes out there, and then he ends up giving up uh, a two-run home run to make it 7-3 to three at the time. And then he gets pulled, and he gets pulled after six and two-thirds, and now his line looks a little worse. He feels a little worse. Had he come out before that, it's six innings, three hits, one run, 
And I just that's you just have a better feeling. And I know that's not going to bother him. I mean, he got the win. The Yankees won the game, but it just wasn't necessary. And, and there's so many times where leading the starting pitcher in is necessary when the guy's at 70, 75 pitches and Boone feels the need to take him out. But when he's got his best pitcher and the best pitcher in the game out there at 90 pitches with a six run lead and nine outs left, you've got all these other guys. Let them pitch. They didn't pitch Monday and Tuesday. Green, Adovino, Canely, Britton, they've pitched in one game in a week. They pitch in one game in, in 10 months. They can go out there and pitch. You don't have to have Cole go out there and waste pitches that are going to come off his lifetime pitch count, which there is such a thing. I mean, we've seen pitching elbows, shoulders, forearms. They break at some point. Why go out there and do that? Why have him leave with that taste in his mouth rather than the six innings, one run performance? It just made no sense. And the second he went back out there, it wasn't about the fact that he looked tired or gassed to me. It doesn't matter if he looked tired or gassed. He just wasn't needed anymore. The Yankees weren't blowing a six-run lead with nine outs left. And they ended up scoring two more runs anyway in the ninth to get the six-run lead back after it went down to four. But it just wasn't necessary. And uh, I guess that's really my only problem with the game. Uh, it's, it's hard to have a problem when you score nine runs, you win by six. But the Yankees did what they do. They beat, they beat up on the Orioles, who aren't a good team. They're not going to be a good team again. DJ LeMahieu set the tone right away. First batter of the game, boom, home run, one nothing, and we're off, and it's the Yankees-Orioles. What we've grown accustomed to these last few years, especially last year when the Yankees, they won an opening day, then they dropped the next two, and then they won 16 straight against the Orioles. So now they've won 17 in a row. They've won 18 out of 20 against this team. They've got 10 games against them this season, depending on what actually happens with the schedule. But let's say they play all 10 against them. I think you can expect 10 wins. I mean, that's crazy. But what's the worst? Eight and two? I think anything less than eight and two is unacceptable when you see how bad the Orioles are and how good the Yankees can be. So LeMahieu homered. Uh, Judge got his first homer later in the game. Hicks homered. So three Yankees homers. Uh, the surprising thing was Torres going 0 for 4. I think everyone was waiting for him to hit at least one, possibly a couple, given what he did against the Orioles last year. But Gary Sanchez had another horrific game at the plate. And I am the president of the Gary Sanchez fan club, the biggest Sanchez fan there is. This first few games for him have not been good. I mean, 0 for 4, another three strikeouts. He looks absolutely lost at the plate. I think he'll figure it out. It's not like we haven't seen these ruts and these slumps from Gary in the past. He clearly is going up there without a plan. I mean, some of the pitches he's swinging at low and away and in the dirt and some of these fastballs that are riding in and up on him that he has no chance of making contact with and he's still swinging at him, it just hasn't looked good. And Ian Brett Gardner at the other end is also hitless on the season, 0 for 4, 4 strikeouts for Gardner. So it's been a rough goal for Sanchez and Gardner, but thankfully uh, the Yankees don't need everyone clicking at the same point. At some point, LeMahieu, who's hitting 500, will go cold. At some point, Judge, who's been solid, will go cold. Torres, State, and these guys, and they'll need Sanchez and Gardner to pick them up. So hopefully it works out because that's how you end up having a magical season is when guys are hot at different times. So I'm fine with the way things have gone. Sanchez will come around. Gardner will come around. I'm not worried about them. The other thing is, I think we can stop with the scheduled days off. On Sunday, Gardner doesn't play. They put Talkman in against Patrick Corbin, one of the best lefties in the game. Sanchez doesn't play. Um, Hicks doesn't play. I think Aaron Boone and the Yankees need to relax with the scheduled days off. I know they're not going to, but given what we just saw this week where two games were canceled out of nowhere, that's that's a real possibility every single day of this season. And that's going to be the case for as long as the coronavirus is a daily threat. And who knows how long that's going to go on. We need to stop with the scheduled days off. I mean, any day, today, there could be no game. So why are you going to give guys days off when, one, they've played four games in the first week. They've already had three days off. 
They had every day off going back to spring training, and then before that, they had every day off between the ALCS and spring training. So enough with the scheduled days off. Play the best team. The season's 60 games as it is. It's good. It could be even shorter. It might not even—who knows? Every day, like I said, could be the last day of the season. And every day you might all of a sudden have a week off. You don't know how the schedule is going to go. Just play everyone that's supposed to play. Play your everyday lineup every day. It's 60 games. And now they're down to 56. And who knows if they'll even play 56. And who knows if they'll even play every game that's scheduled for this week. You just don't know. Just play the guys you're supposed to play. Stop worrying about tomorrow. I'm adamant about not worrying about tomorrow in a normal 162-game season when there's not a pandemic. So there's no need to worry about tomorrow right now when there might not be a tomorrow. Look at the Marlins. They're off for a week right now. The Yankees just had two days off. I would bet that they're going to have more days off. Who's to say this isn't going to happen to another team? Who's to say this isn't going to happen today or tomorrow or any day? Just stop worrying about tomorrow and play for today. Maybe you'll get the whole season in. Maybe you'll get the postseason in. But at least play to win. I get that that is watered down postseason. I get the Yankees are a lock for the postseason. There's no way they don't finish first or second in the division, even with Tampa off to a great start as well. But there's just no way. They're going to the postseason. It's a guarantee. And I get that. And maybe they're, they're just thinking, hey, we're going to the postseason whether we play our A game every day or not. But that's not really a way to think about it. Granted that the home field advantage is probably not going to matter. I don't see any way they're going to let fans into the game too much, a little over two months from now. So there's not really going to be a home field advantage other than they're playing at your own stadium. There's no fans there. There's no crowd. I think the Yankees are better at Yankee Stadium. I think they're built better for Yankee Stadium. Power pitching, power hitting. Try to finish first. They didn't do it last year and it cost them. They lost the ALCS because of it. Try to finish first. Try to win the American League for the first time in 11 years. Try to win the World Series. Try to get to the World Series for the first time in 11 years. Play your everyday lineup every day. It's that easy. And this team is that good where if they do that, they should be the best team in the American League at the end of the regular season. I get that we're getting worked up over this team that's 3-1 and one, that just won 9-3 sounds dumb, but it's really not. I mean, I've had people telling me to stop getting worked up about them for the last 11 years and they haven't won anything. So until they do, and until they do, I think you can nitpick and try to come up with ways that to make this team better, to put them in a better position to win it all. And playing their everyday lineup every day this season I think that makes the most sense, given the fact that this season could end at any moment. But enough with what went on last night and what's going on this first week. Today, I've got Carter Capps, former major league reliever for the Mariners, the Marlins, and the Padres. You'll remember him as having uh, the wildest delivery possibly in baseball history, one that they had to make a rule about uh, to sort of ban and, and sort of ended his career a few years ago. But Carter Capps joins me today, so let's get to it. All right, and joining me today is former Major League pitcher for the Mariners, Marlins, and Padres, Carter Caps. Carter, how's it going today? Uh, doing good. Yeah, just out here uh, in Seattle area, so uh, a little cloudy today. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's that's pretty much every day there. Uh, yeah, the summer is awesome, but yeah, the winters can get pretty dreary. We actually had some pretty good weather, but yeah, it's uh, a little cloudy today. Yeah, I, I guess to, to get into it, I mean, the easiest thing is just where did the delivery come from? Uh, yeah, so uh, I was uh, pitching with Seattle. Uh, and, uh, and this would be in 2013. Uh, and I just started getting in this habit of like this triple extension of my, uh, like knee, ankle, hip, and, uh, uh, yeah, knee, ankle, hip joint. And, uh, basically the lateral drive was fine because I was going towards the plate, but they, uh, I had a lot of, uh, forward trunk tilt. Uh, so they actually wanted me to be more upright. So as I changed the positioning, all these angles are still firing the same way, but now, the direction is more up towards the sky. So then I started doing that at the off season. I got traded over 
uh, to the uh, Marlins. So I was like caught in limbo a little bit there. Uh, but then nobody wanted me to change it because I was getting great results. So I was like getting airborne and like it was just hard to hit. But uh, yeah, it's kind of how it started. Uh, but yeah, I didn't always used to throw that way. Uh, actually, probably through about half my career more conventionally than half uh, like with the, the big airborne jump kind of thing. So in college and, and in the minors prior to your first call up with the Mariners, it was all just basic, normal, nothing out of the ordinary delivery? Uh, yeah, those are uh, like pretty crossfire-y, uh, probably like, you know, eight, ten inches uh, stride across my body and uh, probably like low three-quarters arm slot. So yeah, just pretty standard. From watching it when you were pitching and to see it in slow-mo, I mean, it's just remarkable. I don't think anyone could duplicate it. I know there's been some crazy and weird and funky deliveries over the years, but when you really break it down and watch it like frame by frame, it's it's uh, nothing you could really notice in real time. I know, I know in real time it does look weird, but when you really break it down, it's something outstanding and I just I guess it's the question of how did you get to the point where you felt comfortable enough that like hey I'm gonna do this in games uh yes I mean it was kind of by necessity right I like I was kind of called in between mechanics and the team that was paying me was telling me like you know hey like we like what you're doing like don't worry about going back to it and I never crossed my mind that it would be like illegal like uh you could kind of seen like Jordan Walden uh actually like get a little bit more airborne and not have like the foot drag that I had so, I mean, I just assumed that it was fine. Uh, yeah, so we just kind of kept pursuing that, and the results were, like, obviously great. Uh, so, yeah, just kind of doing that. And then I got injured in 2016. And uh, and on my way back uh, in 2017, I was, like, ready to go in spring training with the Padres. And, uh, yeah, I just came in one day, and there was, like, a ton of media around my locker, and they told me that there was a rule change and started asking me about it. And I was like, yeah, I, I have no idea. I just just heard about this from you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> and after that, after you find out about the rule change, what went into was it meeting with the organization? Was it having calls with the league office? What was the the follow up from finding out from the media? Uh, yeah. So basically, all the calls were like me and my agent and the Padres calling into the league office to like ask for clarity because basically they just said, "Yeah, the rule is what it is. Uh, deal with it." Uh, so I had to like kind of like make sure like well how am I going to be like graded on this like because obviously if I even if I change it you know 20 percent right if I if I got 20 percent better at my delivery if it didn't look you know like it was illegal like it's still going to be more borderline than everybody else so like how was I being graded on it that was kind of like the a little bit of back and forth but honestly it was kind of just between me the Padres and my agent you know and prior to the rule change, I mean, I know there was a lot of controversy and when you would pitch, you know, whether it was uh, on the Marlins broadcast or watching a visiting broadcast, they made sure every time you come in to mention it and show it. And I'm sure you had individual relationships with different umpires, and I'm sure some called it differently than others, but it didn't seem like there was necessarily uh, a standard rubric across the league for how umpires should judge the delivery. Yeah, I never had one called in the major league. It was only in the minor league. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, so whatever, I don't know the difference there, but uh, yeah, and then definitely it was uh, umpire's discretion. So uh, I think it was the third base umpire's call. Actually, sorry, I think it's first base umpire's call. And um, yeah, so they would just sit there and watch my foot the whole time and call a block or not. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, going back to, to getting drafted in, in 2011 by the Mariners, the next season you're in the major leagues, and that's a pretty rapid descent. Not everyone has that sort of experience for those that do make it to the majors. But what happened in that one year, I mean, to go from just in college, I know you had some perform- outstanding performances in the Cape Cod League, and then all of a sudden, a year after you're drafted, you're in the shell. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I was a hard-throwing guy, and I uh, was getting good strikeout numbers. I mean, that generally you know, translates to like upper levels, so I guess they just thought that uh, they needed help in the bullpen, and like I was a viable option. Yeah, and the first uh, call up a Friday night in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium, um, your first major league appearance coming against the Yankees. Uh, what was that like? I, I mean, to get called up to the majors, I'm I'm sure is is feeling that no one ever forgets, but to have it happen at Yankee Stadium of all places. Yeah, so this was in 2012. I made my debut. So keep in mind, in 2011, I got my first ever plane flight. So like it, it was a <laughs> massive jump. Uh, yeah, so just like the stadiums, like I got to go to all 30. I haven't been to New Atlanta, but yeah, it's like they're coliseums, right? They're like huge. They're these massive things where like the fans are like above you. Like I've never like experienced that at all anywhere. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. It just uh very, very adrenaline filled. Uh, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and your first recorded outcome against Derek Jeter, I guess that's that's always a cool fact to have. And in that game, you faced Russell Martin, Curtis Granderson, Derek Jeter, Robinson Cano, Mark Desher, Raul Banyas, and Nick Swisher. So some great brand-name household names there. I mean, that's a pretty uh, hefty assignment to get your first game out of the bullpen in the majors. Yeah, Eric Wedge was like, yeah, go get him. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of screwed it up. I know they took you out when... Cano came in, uh, they brought in Oliver Perez for the, for lefty on lefty, and then he actually let your inherited runner score by giving up hits to Cano and Abanez, both lefties. So that kind of screwed things oh, up. Yeah. But <laughs> the rest of your career, I mean, the next four and a third innings, you faced the Yankees in your career, eight strikeouts. So you were one of the guys that, that no Yankees fan wanted to see come in out of the pen. Uh, you just sort of had their number, at least from a strikeout to uh, innings pitch ratio. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I feel like it's like that for a lot of guys. Like sometimes you just pitch better at certain ballparks. Just something about like the like depth perception of like the home plate versus the backstop, or like the texture of the mound, or like yeah, it's just weird. Like there's some places I was very comfortable, and some I was very uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's a lot probably mental, but yeah, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, and after, you mentioned earlier about uh, having the Tommy John surgery in 16 after your you know otherworldly numbers and outstanding, uh, impressive 2015 with the Marlins. And every fan here is Dr. James Andrews, and no one ever wants to hear that a guy on their team's going to visit him. But what's that experience like from the first time you have elbow pain through actually having the surgery for people that haven't had the surgery before? Yeah, so I was like definitely like a, a chronic workload uh, issue. Uh, so I actually tore my ECL partially in 14 tore it partially again in 15 and then didn't uh have surgery until uh like spring training of 16 so like I, I was like it was kind of like deteriorating I guess um so I actually saw him in it would have been 15 I think uh just to like get his opinion on whether I should have surgery or not because I was kind of in that marginal area with the uh partial tear uh, and he said, yeah, it's, it's like, if you can throw the pain and stuff, like, uh, I would just wait. And uh, that's kind of what we did and bought a few more, like, another year out of it. So uh, that was good. But, yeah, no, he's just a very, very uh, humble guy, very professional. And uh, I, I really enjoy talking to him. He definitely knows what he's doing. But uh, he's just, like, he's a very personable guy. 
to once you have the surgery, you know, you come out, you have the sling on or, or whatnot. How long is it till you pick up a baseball and how long is the, uh, the rehab time before that happens? Well, I could probably tell you because uh, so I think a week after I made my first catch, I got traded to the uh, Padres. <laughs> uh, so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm probably not going to be ready, but thanks. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was about three months, I believe, three to four months. And then your entire time with the Padres was post-rule change, and so now you're trying to get back to the guy you were on the Mariners, I'm guessing, and trying to basically create your delivery all over again after having just done so four years before? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was definitely uh, back to the drawing board kind of thing. I, I felt bad for the Padres because, like, they, they kind of got the raw end of the deal, right? Like, yeah, you got traded over, and all of a sudden the rule changed. So, yeah, they, they, they got screwed as well as me. So, <clears throat> yeah, I felt pretty bad about that. But, yeah, we, we just uh, – I went and saw a lot of uh, biomechanists and uh, <clears throat> talked to a lot of guys, and they were like, "Yeah, it's just gonna be a patterning issue." And I just, uh, I just had so many things that I couldn't pattern out of, like because if you watch, like everybody focuses on in on the feet, but uh, at, at glove separation, I had this really bad like uh, hand stab with the baseball uh, down like behind my back and butt. And like, it would just stall out there. Like, it just is just hanging out there for a long time before it actually gets into elbow climb. And so the stride is actually buying time for my arm to get up. So, like, I had some arm inefficiencies as well. Uh, I just threw hard, so, like, nobody said anything about it. But, like, I did have arm inefficiencies to go along with the bad lower half patterning. So it kind of, like, a lot to do, you know. And what was the result of trying to change it? Was it a dip in velocity from being a high 90s, you know, triple-digit guy? What What was the result of the, the newest delivery on what you had experienced from your great season with the Marlins? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was way down. I just couldn't feel like I, I, could, I couldn't use my legs in the sense that I felt like I had to basically shut them off or else I was going to get too much down the mound and going to get called for a balk. So it was like I almost had to just throw all arms. Uh, so yeah, it, it was just a, a bad, bad mechanical little rut. <laughs> at, at what point were you like, Hey, this might be it for me. Was it the day you heard about the rule change? Was it two years later when you were trying or, or the year later when you were trying to change the delivery? When did you decide, you know, like, Hey, I, I just can't get back to having the type of delivery I did in Seattle. Yeah. Well, like we're all competitors, right? So it's like, somebody tells me something like, well, screw you. Like I'll just, I'll fix it and I'll come back. Yeah. And it was kind of that mindset uh, after the rule change. So it like hadn't really crossed my mind, like how difficult it would be. Uh, so like, I, I think I probably like was optimistic there, but then once uh, I had TOS, uh, so thoracic outlet, uh, San Diego, like in September of 17, uh, or yeah, 17. So yeah, it was just like, that kind of piled on to the uh, delivery and still still kind of coming off the Tommy John stuff. So, yeah, it was just kind of a, a, a bad stretch. Well, now I, I know you're working with Driveline, uh, you know, in your post-playing career. What are you doing for them, and, and how did you get into the, the analytics and, and mechanics side of the game? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I feel like I had a pretty good baseball background. Uh, I feel like I was, like asked a lot of questions when I was playing, and, like, I just got a lot of feedback from the coaches, and, and I really, inter- like, enjoyed that interaction. Uh, but I felt like the thing I was weakest at was probably the data side, like the the statistics, making making connections with uh, like you know tendencies and, and pitchers and hitters. And I just felt like driveline was kind of at the forefront of that, and they were best at what I was worst at. It was like, well, that's where I want to be, right? I want to be like the dumbest guy in the room for a while until like I figure out what I'm doing. 
and uh, I've just I've just learned so much there, and I feel like uh, they're definitely uh, always like pushing me to do more and more. So pretty excited there. Do you ever have the chance to let it rip anymore? Face live hitters, uh, use the old delivery that's no longer legal. Uh, no, I'll do like uh, I'll throw off the mound and stuff every now and then. But yeah, I'm not facing guys or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so so what's the future hold for you? I know you know at Jive Light now. Is it to stay in that sort of private sector of baseball and helping players, or is it to hook on with a team and, and get into into that? What what do you see uh, the rest of your post playing career in baseball look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to be something in player development, uh, whether private or with the team. Uh, I definitely, I think teams has have their benefits. Uh, but yeah, I, I would just like to help guys. I kind of want to be like the one stop shop. Like I don't want to have to like a player come to me and and ask me about his vertical break and I don't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? I want to be like, yeah, like so. Here's how we're gonna change your spin ac- access to you know achieve optimal vertical break on your fastball or get a better spin direction on your slider or curveball. Like, I don't want to have to send them to, like, a data analytics guy and, like, them not, like, relay the information properly, right? I want to be the go-to. I want to be, like, I can have a conversation with the data analytics side and I can have a conversation with the player side and, like, both are, like, getting the best out of the, the scenario. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, with the, the modern age of baseball and the fact that it was just a few years ago where a guy comes up to the plate and the graphic on TV only shows his average, his home runs and his RBIs, and they slowly added on base. Then it was OPS. And uh, <clears throat> as Yankees fans, we get to hear David Cohn every night, and he's big into the analytics side, talks about spin rate, spin efficiency, things like that. I, I know you're only three years removed from playing, but how much has it evolved and changed just since, you know, you were in the majors? Uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it depends on the organization, right? Some organizations are more on the forefront, and then some are still kind of lagging behind. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I think there's definitely been a positive trend towards, like, okay, like we have this idea that this is best, and it's always been taught this way, but let's make sure it is before we continue to teach it. And I think that's a good good trend. I think it's going to grow the game uh, leaps and bounds. So, yeah, there's definitely been a trend towards more data analytics side, but, uh, it is very dependent on the organization. All right, Carter. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on and, and talk about your career and, and the famous delivery. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, I hope to see uh, things from you in the future, and, and maybe we'll see you in player development one of these days. Yes, thank you. All right, thanks again to Carter for taking the time to come on and talk about his baseball career, the delivery rule that sort of pushed him out of the league, and, and what he's up to now on the analytics and mechanics side working for driveline baseball that'll do it for today we'll be back tomorrow with a recap of the yankees orioles two game series finale thanks for listening Sitting-